What's going on, Hume? How you doing? Have you guys had a great week? I have had just an awesome time, and it has been a, uh, just a privilege and a thrill to be with you. I'm so thankful that we've had this time together to jump into God's Word, and I am eagerly and sincerely praying that the seeds that have been planted as the Word of God has been proclaimed here would bear fruit long after we leave this place. I'm hoping and praying that God will have used this time to strengthen you and encourage you and challenge you and grow you in your walk with Jesus, and that this has been a real blessing to you. Can you believe we only have this last session together? No! But we do have one more session together, and I am very thankful to be here with you. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to John. We're going to do a little bit of flipping around in the Gospel of John, but you can open first. You can open first to John chapter 20, and then we're going to jump back and we're going to spend a bunch of time in John 14, 15, and 16 as we talk about truth for the Christian life. What a great week this has been to talk about the absolute truth that comes from God delivered through his scriptures, expressed in the life and ministry of Jesus, talk about the truth of our sin and our desperate need for a savior, and then God's amazing provision for a savior in the finished work of Christ. Tonight, as we prepare to leave tomorrow morning, I want to equip you with some truth for the Christian life. I'm the kind of guy who is perpetually curious and always willing to try something new. Anyone like me? And so I'm always kind of scouring uh, my friends uh, and the internet and various sources to find new things I can try. I always want to try new recipes. I always want to try a new gadget. I always want to try new strategies to do things that I love to do. I'm always willing to try new things. And so one day, I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast, and I'm kind of an idiot, so I decided to, doing, to do ice baths in my pool. And so it's like the dead of winter and my pool is like 40 degrees and I decided that I would start going into it for three to five minute increments. And if you have ever submerged yourself up to your neck in 40 degree water, you will know that it is miserably painful. Anyone ever done this before? I mean, it is, it is like you jump into the water and here's, here's what I wanna tell you. If you've never done it before, you cannot possibly understand just how bad it's going to hurt. Like you get into the water and it like aches down in your bones and everything in your body screams at you, get out, get out. And the first couple of times I did it because I had no idea what to expect, I could only last like after the 15, 25 seconds of pain sets in, I had to get out and kind of thaw out for a minute and then jump back in because it was so shocking and unpleasant. But what I found very quickly was that the more I did it, the more often I climbed into my icy pool, the easier it became. Now, here's what's so interesting about that. I got to the point after doing it for a couple weeks that it was like no problem. I didn't even think about it. I could get down in the water and it didn't even really bother me. Now, the temperature of the water had not changed. It's not as if the pain was lessened. It's not as if it was any less pleasant of an experience. What changed was that I was expecting what was coming. And so it wasn't nearly as difficult. 
There's a famous Greek philosopher who said, the strike that lands the hardest is the one you don't see coming. And so as we prepare to go home, my real burden for you is that I don't want you to go home and I don't want jumping into your Christian life to be like jumping into an ice bath. And I don't want the shock and the surprise and the pain to cause you to withdraw because you weren't expecting the difficulty that was coming. What I want to do tonight is set some expectations at the front end for what it's going to look like for you to follow Jesus so that you will have a clear idea of what it means and what it will take and what it will cost. I want you to walk into your Christian life as we head down the hill and you go back to your life and your family and your neighborhood and your school and your teams, all of the things that you do, your job, and I want you to go knowing what guarantees you have as a follower of Jesus. I want you to be equipped, I want you to be ready, and I want you to be aware, and that's my goal for tonight. I want to tell you the truth about what you should expect in your Christian life, and to do that, I'm going to give you three guarantees. I love when you can give somebody a guarantee, something you can bank on, and so tonight, I'm going to give you three guarantees for your Christian life. If, in fact, you are a follower of Christ, if you've been tracking along this week and the message of the gospel that was proclaimed is the hope of your life, if you recognize that you are sinful and separated from God by your own record, but that the finished work of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection has repaired your relationship with God, reconciled you to him, and forgiven you of your sin forever because you've put all your trust in him, if that's you, if if you're a Christian, there are some things from God's word that you can bank on, that you can count on, that you have as a guarantee from God himself, and I want to tell you about three of them. Now, just a, little, uh, just a little alert here at the front. Two of them are very encouraging, and one of them is very sobering, and we're going to do them in that order. Good news, bad news, right? We're going to go good news first, and then we'll get something sobering at the end, but something helpful that I think is going to send us off. So we'll do it this way. If I'm a Christian, and then here's three guarantees. If I'm a Christian, here's the first one. The Holy Spirit lives within me. If I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within me. If you got your Bible open to John 20, look at John 20, verse 21. It says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now Jesus, he, he looks at his disciples, he's about to ascend into heaven, and he says, just as the Father sent me into the world, now I am sending you into the world. Just as God sent his own son in the world to represent the truth and to extend the influence of the kingdom of God in the world, now Jesus, having raised up his followers, was doing the same thing. He's commissioning them and he's sending them out. But the good news that's here is not just that he's giving them a job to do, but he's giving them the supply that they will need to accomplish the job. And he does that there in verse 22. He says, and when he had said this, when he told them, I'm sending you into the world, it says he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is what happens in the life of every person who becomes a follower of Jesus. 
The promise of the Bible is that if you put your faith in Christ, you will be instantaneously indwelt by the third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Holy Spirit. Now, God is... Uh, the Holy Spirit is not some kind of ethereal force. It's not uh, some sort of mystical dust. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. The, the Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit acts because the Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you when you become a Christian. And what I'm so thrilled to tell you tonight is that the guarantee that you have as a follower of Jesus is that God himself will be with you as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Now, one of my favorite things that we learn in the Gospel of John that's unique to the Gospel of John is that Jesus, he gives a nickname to the Holy Spirit that I love in chapters 14, 15, and 16. He calls the Holy Spirit the Helper. The helper. And this is what I want to spend just a couple minutes talking to you about because maybe at this point in your life, you know you need some help to follow Jesus. Maybe you've tried and it's been really difficult. Maybe you've been to Hume Lake before and you've had an emotional moment and you've made a decision or a confession and you've gone home and your Christian life has tanked quickly. And so you think, what's going to make this time any different? I need some help. I told you earlier in the week about my first job at Best Buy. My second job was at a skate shop called Zoomies. Anybody ever heard of Zoomies? <laughs> Big Zoomies fans in the house. We love, we love uh, like <laughs> skate shop material, apparently. I worked at Zoomies, and one of my jobs, on my very first shift, I was 16 years old, got to the store, and the Zoomies that I worked at when we were closing the store down didn't have a back room to hold any stock. So every time they got a shipment, everything that came in the shipment went out on the floor. And so if you ever go in one of those stores that has no back room, what you'll see is if you look up around the perimeter of the store, there's these shelves that are very high up, and they are stacked up with all of this stuff, all the shoe boxes and boxes with T-shirts in them. They're just like, they're piled high. They're way up in the, uh, near the rafters. And my manager, uh, at the end of my very first shift, brought out to me a cart full of shoeboxes and a very tall ladder and was like, go get them, tiger. And I mean, I'm not like scared of heights, but I don't like heights. And so I pull out this massive like 15 or 17 foot ladder and I climb up to the top of it and I realize that the ladder's not nearly tall enough to get me to the top of the shelf unless I stand on the very top of the ladder where there's nothing else to hold. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, and my manager dumped this stuff on me and then walks to the back of the store and I'm sitting there thinking like, I wanna be a good employee but I have no idea what I'm doing and I might die if I fall off this ladder. And I felt totally exposed, totally alone and I felt like I had a really important job to do and no help to do it. And maybe you feel like that in your Christian life. But the good news of the indwelling ministry and presence of the Holy Spirit is that you are actually never in that situation as a follower of Christ. Because you have who Jesus called the helper inside of you to walk with you as you follow him. And here's what I want to do for you. I just want to show you, lest that is too abstract, I want to make it a little bit more concrete for you. I want to give you four things that the Spirit does to help you. Four things, in fact, that the Spirit helps you to do. 
These are four very important things for your Christian life. They're all going to come up at one time, and then they'll be highlighted. The Spirit helps me to obey God, to understand truth, to hate sin, and to love Jesus. Four very simple things. You can open your Bibles to John 14 if you've got them. The text will also come up on the screen if you need it there. First, the Spirit helps me to obey God. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I love when the Bible is this clear. If you love Jesus, you will do what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is such good news, guys. If you're a Christian, you are no longer the boss of your life. This is part of what it means to be a Christian, that we have to lose our spirit of rugged independence and individuality, that I am the master and commander of my destiny, and I say how it goes, and I'm the king of my life, and I'm in charge. If you become a Christian, you lay that down in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord means master. It means he is in charge of my life. I am not in charge of my life. It means now that you have to obey what he has commanded. The good news is that Jesus only commands things that are good for you. He only commands things that are a blessing to you, and yet his commands are no less difficult for us to obey. Obedience is tough. Obedience is hard. And yet the promise here in John 14 is that the Spirit will help you to obey. And here's how the Spirit will help you to obey. The Spirit will help you to obey by changing your desires. The Spirit helps you to do what God says by helping you to want what God wants. This is one of the most miraculous and amazing things about the ministry of the Spirit is that over time, He transforms you from the inside out. He transforms what you want now, if you've been following Jesus for any period of time and you've experienced growth in Christ's likeness, it is likely that you joyfully do things now that you used to think were silly, that you, you do things now that you used to think were impossible, that things that once gave you pleasure and joy now make you sick. Now you turn away from those things and you don't want to do them anymore. Why? Because your desires have changed. If your desires have changed to be more like Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit to thank for that. The Holy Spirit helps me to obey God, but not just to obey God, also to understand truth. John 14 goes on to say in verse 26, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus promises that the Spirit will teach you the truth, will teach you all things. Perhaps you have tried to spend time in the Bible before and you've found it to be complicated and difficult and at times even hard to understand. 
And it is that. The Bible at times, right, it's a big book, and it's got a lot of moving parts, and it's set in a particular historical context, and there's a big gap between us and the events of the Bible. So sometimes it is difficult to understand. And yet, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have a guarantee from God that when you open his word and you earnestly seek to understand it, you will grow to accurately know what God intends to reveal to you. This is the promise of the Spirit, that he will guide you into the truth. This means that if you humble yourself and you go to God and you meet with him in his word, you have the Bible open in front of you. The spirit will like shine a light on the darkness that was there before so that you can see where you're going and you can know what you're seeing. This is what the Holy Spirit does for you. It, is, it helps you to understand the truth. The Holy Spirit brings clarity to your mind so that you can understand what it is that God has revealed in his word. And then the Spirit, it's like the Spirit is on steroids when you read God's Word in the power of community. When multiple Spirit-filled believers gather together with the Word of God open in front of them, there is a power and a clarity that is promised from Jesus himself. So if you feel like at times even the truth that we've been discussing this week has been hard to understand and hard to grasp, I would encourage you to depend on the Holy Spirit, to gather together in community and to trust that this promise will be true, that the Spirit will guide you into the truth, that you will understand it and know it and be able to live it. The Spirit helps me to obey God, to understand truth, and number three, to hate sin. The Spirit helps me to hate sin. John 16, seven and eight say, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Think about how crazy this statement is Jesus is about to say. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, think for a second about the guys who walked with Jesus for three years and they listened to him teach and they watched him do miracles and they saw the amazing power and the authority and the wonder of all that he accomplished. And imagine being with Jesus and he's like, listen, it's better if I get out of here. And the guys are like, what are you talking about? This has been the most amazing three years of our lives, and we have seen you perform miracles, and we've seen you honor God, and we've seen you teach the scriptures, and you have brought the kingdom of God in all of its glory in our midst. What do you mean it's better if you go away? And he says, it's better if I go away, because if I do, I will send you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, you're kind of hanging with bated breath here, I feel like, to know what he will say next. Like, okay, this spirit that's going to be so much better when you leave and he comes, what will he do? And this is not exactly what you would expect him to say, but it is what he says. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the first thing he says after he says, it's better if I go. You're like, oh, awesome. Tell me about how much better it's going to be. And he says, the spirit will convict you of your sin. Now, why is that so helpful? Because apparently Jesus thinks that's like maximum advantage that you and I would be convicted of our sin. And it's because of all that we talked about two days ago. 
It's because sin is rebellion against our creator God. And sin is like a corrosive poison that kills and destroys all that it touches. And if you choose to perpetually live in sin, then you are choosing to walk away from the goodness and the generosity of God. And you are choosing to walk a road of death and destruction. So it is enormously advantageous if you have a helper who can identify sin in your life and then empower you through conviction and repentance to walk away from the sin that destroys. This is a massive advantage, and this is what the Spirit does for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit helps you to see sin and to hate sin so that, right, your desires are changing and you begin to walk away from things that you once pursued. Now listen, everybody in the world feels guilt. Everybody feels guilt, which is I made a mistake or I hurt somebody or I got caught or I did something wrong and I have some like bad feelings about it. Everybody's got that. It's a universal human experience. But only Christians experience conviction that leads them to repentance and transformation into the image of Christ. Only Christians get conviction. And this is how practical this is. If you're a follower of Jesus, and when you go back down the hill and you go home and you start to go back to the same sin patterns that you walked in before you got here, You start to engage in the same disobedience, the same rebellion, the same patterns of living, and you you feel something internally telling you that's wrong. Don't do that. Walk away from that. You should receive that as a gift from the Holy Spirit, and you should act upon it to walk away from that sin, to confess it to others, and to repent and change, because that is what leads to transformation and to life. Romans chapter 2 says that it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. It's not God's anger. It's not God's condemnation. It's not God's shame. It is the kindness of God through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads you to identify your sin and walk away from it. The Holy Spirit helps me to hate my sin and to walk away from it in repentance. And then this. The Holy Spirit helps me to love Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps me to love Jesus. John 15, 26 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will what? He will bear witness about me. <laughs> this is awesome. The, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he will testify to you about me. He will tell you more about who I am, and he will shine light. He will bring clarity to my person and my work and my majesty and my glory. He will bear witness to me. You see, one of the powerful things about the Holy Spirit is that he almost never draws any attention to himself. The Holy Spirit is like a spotlight. And if you've ever been to a theater or a play or even in a room like this, I'm sure you saw it during the opener at times, things like in this room, when the room goes dark and all of these lights go down and then these giant spotlights are, are just shining on one part of the stage, it's like all of the energy and all of the focus and all of the attention is, di- is directed towards one thing. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is like the function of the spotlights. But what is at center stage is Jesus Christ. 
And if you're a Christian and you have the Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit will help you to grow in your affection for Jesus. And I know to you it might sound like a little bit like wishy-washy, like, ah, affection for Jesus, why do I need that? And it's because your entire life is shaped by what you want and what you love. The reason you continue to walk in rebellion is because you love things that are twisted and you love your own sin. And so what you need more than anything else is you need to grow in your affection for Jesus. You need to grow to love him more because then out of delight and joy and gratitude, you will serve him and obey him. And the Holy Spirit helps you to do that. Grow in your love for Jesus. This is just a small sampling. This is certainly not comprehensive. This is a small picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit for you. And I hope just over the last couple minutes you've seen how practical and how helpful and how real the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in your life. The Holy Spirit helps me to obey God, understand truth, hate sin, and love Jesus. The Spirit comforts us and guides us and convicts us and leads us and empowers us as we serve Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God's great fulfillment to the promise that he made when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you. When he said that, he meant that the Spirit would come and live inside of you and never leave you, the very person of God himself. This is the first guarantee that you have, if you're a Christian, that the Holy Spirit lives within me. Here's the second one, the second encouraging guarantee if I'm a Christian, then my home in heaven is waiting for me. This is the second guarantee that you can bank on if you're a follower of Jesus. It's that my home in heaven is waiting for me. One of the things that I love about living in Phoenix is that there are mountains everywhere. In fact, there are some really big, really famous mountains that are like smack dab right in the middle of this giant city. One of them is called Camelback Mountain, and I love, I love hiking Camelback Mountain. It's super fun. If you go up there early in the morning and you can catch the sunrise from the top, it is like National Geographic levels of, it is like amazingly beautiful, so much fun. It's great exercise. Hiking is amazing, but when I go somewhere and I haven't hiked there before, sometimes when you're hiking up through the mountains, it's hard to tell exactly where the peak is. And one time I went to a big mountain up in Flagstaff, it's called Mount Humphreys, and I went to hike there, and this is a long hike. It takes like three plus hours to get to the top. And so I'm hiking, and like halfway in, I feel like I'm dying, and my legs are going numb, and I want to give up, and I'm huffing and puffing, but I'm looking up the trail, and I see what looks to be the peak. And so I'm like, oh, come on, it's right there. And I'm hiking and hiking and hiking. And I get to where I'm going and I turn the corner and it turns out there's another peak way out ahead. When you're, when you're hiking, it can get really frustrating and discouraging when you don't know where the finish line is. It would be like if someone, if you set out to do a race, you, like walk, you, you walked outside and they said, okay, we're gonna race. And they said, Go! And you said, how far am I going? And they say, just keep running until I say stop. <laughs> if you don't know where the finish line is, it's really hard to have energy and to have joy and to have encouragement and to be excited as you go. But when you truly can see the peak and you can see the finish line, this is why after, like, if you ever watch a marathon, 
when these guys or these girls have been running for hours on end and it feels like all the energy is depleted from their body. They get to that home stretch and they can see the checkered flag at the end and all of a sudden they can muster up a sprint. Why? Because they can see the finish. There's a kind of energy and joy that comes from knowing and being able to see where you are going. And Jesus wanted his followers to have that feeling about their lives and about where they were headed, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so in John 14, he says this to them. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is on the precipice of leaving his disciples. And like we just mentioned earlier, you can imagine what a troubling prospect that was for them. Their master and their Lord and their teacher, the one they believed was the Messiah who would usher in the kingdom of God and rescue his people once and for all from their sin and make a new covenant and give them a new heart, their their leader. And he says, guys, I'm going away. You can imagine the anxiety and the fear that that produced in them, but Jesus told them that the reason they should not be troubled is that he was going to prepare a place for them. And what a guarantee this is. What a hope this is. If Jesus could look you in the face and have this conversation with you, he would. And he would say, don't be troubled. I am preparing a home for you. And I'm going ahead so that when you are done in this earth, I can bring you to where I am. That is the hope of heaven that he wanted his first followers to have. And if you trust in him by faith, he wants you to have it too. He wants you to know that when you get to the end of this life, you will be with him in heaven forever. Now, maybe you think to yourself, well, I've seen pictures of heaven, and it's like chubby little babies floating on clouds in diapers, playing harps, doesn't seem that cool, not really interested. But I'm telling you, heaven is going to be, well, first of all, I don't know that there's going to be any chubby babies playing harps in diapers It's going to be way different than that, and it's going to be 10 million times more awesome than that cheap caricature of heaven makes it seem. And and here's what, well, if you think cute babies are awesome, there will be cute babies there, okay? Are you with me? She was like, aw, no cute fat babies? No Judes in heaven? Here's why you should want to go to heaven. I just want to tell you two things. Two things that should make you want to go to heaven. Heaven will be, here's two things. Heaven will be the presence of all good and the absence of all evil. The presence of all good and the absence of all evil. And here's what I mean by that. When you go to heaven, 
Heaven will be chocked full of everything that you have ever truly loved and enjoyed that finds its source in God. So here's what this means. Practically, here's what this means. Everything that you have ever found true and deep and lasting joy in, every bit of friendship and food and every bit of laughter and every beautiful mountainscape and sunset and sunrise and every bit of wonder that you've ever had as you lay out and watch the stars at night, every bit of joy and true happiness that you have ever experienced, I'm just telling you that the source of all of that is God himself. God is the fountain. God is the source of everything that is good and true and beautiful. And because heaven is the place of his rule and his reign, and heaven is the place where he is enjoyed in unhindered relationship, heaven will be the place where you experience in an embodied state for all time the ultimate presence of everything that is good. And this is why Psalm 16 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what heaven is going to be like, but not only the presence of all that is good, but secondly, the absence of all that is evil. The absence of all that is evil. Think about this for just a moment, that everything in this life that has ever burdened you or brought you sorrow or anguish or pain, everything that has ever hurt you will be undone in heaven. Everything will be taken away. This is why Revelation 21 says that he will wipe away every tear from your eye. (laughs) Think about that for just a minute. Everything that has ever made you cry, tears of pain, will be reversed and removed and cast out. And there will only be the presence of good. There will be no betrayal, no pain, no malice, no abuse, no jealousy, no violence no abandonment, there will only be joy in the presence of the creator God who is the source of everything good. That's what heaven is. Heaven is the place where God himself is at the center and the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted and enjoyed and worshiped for all time. You and I living in the new heavens and the new earth where both the presence and the power of sin has been banished once and for all and we enjoy the goodness and the good design of our creator God for all time. This is the hope of heaven. And the hope of heaven, I'm here to tell you, is what can sustain you through a lifetime of faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Because sometimes we're so tempted to live like this world is all that we have. This way of living, it's called hedonism, which is get as much pleasure and as much as you can get out of this life right now, no matter what it costs, no matter who it hurts, no matter what it looks like, just get, get, get all you can right now because this is all you have. And if you don't accumulate as much pleasure and as much material resources and as much as you can get right now, then you're going to miss out. And you'll die and it'll all be over. And that is the exact opposite of the message of Christianity. 
The message of Christianity says that this world is not ultimately your home. You have a destination waiting for you in heaven where you will be with the God who made you and saved you in the presence of everything that is good and the absence of everything that is evil so that even if your life is 70 or 80 years of suffering, just on the other side of the threshold of death, you will be in the presence of God. And when you see him, you will be made like him. And everything that burdened you in this life will be gone forever. What an amazing hope that we have. And what fuel to sustain us and to move us as we follow Jesus. This is the second guarantee that we have. My home in heaven is waiting for me. And then last, the last and the sobering guarantee as a follower of Jesus is this. If I'm a Christian, persecution is coming to me. And here's where I want to end. Here's what I want to talk about as we finish. If you're a Christian, and this is why it's a sobering reminder, because this is a hard but necessary truth, that if you follow Jesus, it is a guarantee from the word of God that people will dislike you, they will reject you, they will oppose you, and they will persecute you. The Bible tells us this really clearly. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And John 15 says it this way. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus says there, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now here's what persecution is. Persecution is any time that you experience hostility and resistance for being loyal to Jesus Christ. That's what persecution is. And maybe when you hear the word persecution, you think of things that have happened in church history and even still happen today around the world. You think of very dramatic examples of persecution. Like in the early church, in the Roman, in the Roman Empire, when it was a crime to be a Christian, Christians received persecution in the form of being burned alive at the stake or being fed to the lions in the Colosseum. And those are, those are very dramatic expressions of persecution. And even still today, in places around the world, Christians are killed. Christians are martyred for following Jesus. And yet we live in a country and in a time that it is highly unlikely that we would ever be killed or tortured for following Jesus. But that does not mean that we will not experience persecution. It may not look that dramatic or that violent for you, but you'd have to be hiding under a rock to not know that the culture that we live in is becoming increasingly hostile to the things of God to the truth of his word, to what he has commanded and how he's revealed himself, we live in a culture that less and less enjoys Christianity and respects Christians. 
We live in a world where it is likely, and in fact, I would say it is guaranteed if you follow Jesus that someone is going to stand against you for doing so. This is what persecution is. It's when they mock you for going to church. It's when you are excluded from things because of what you believe. It's when they give you nasty looks because they know that you don't agree with their stance on X, Y, or Z. It's when you are told that you are hateful and backwards and bigoted and close-minded and judgmental because you believe what the Bible says and because you proclaim the hope of the gospel. If you go home to your schools and your neighborhoods and your jobs and your teams and you just live as a Christian, there will be people who stand against you for doing so. And you and I, we need to expect that that is coming. And it can come from all kinds of different people. Maybe it can come from your classmates or your teammates or your coworkers. Maybe it even comes from people that you would have considered friends. Maybe persecution has even come to you this week. Maybe you would, you would have loved to engage in a different way, but you were with a crew who think all of this is stupid. And so you don't, you don't want to stand out. You don't want to get mocked. You don't, you don't want to be looked down upon because you open your mouth to sing or you raise your hand in worship or you ask an earnest question in group. Persecution is real, and persecution can come from anywhere. Persecution can even come from people in the church. Persecution can even come from your family. Maybe you're up here and you don't come from Christian parents. You don't have Christian brothers and sisters. And so when you go home, you will be like an alien. One of my, one of my friends is actually on Hume's staff this summer. She's serving on the security team. And when she was 13 years old, she met the Lord Jesus powerfully She comes from an unbelieving family. They don't know Jesus at all. And she was invited by a friend to her youth group. She heard the hope of the gospel and the power of forgiveness and the resurrection of Jesus. And she trusted in him at 13 years old. And now she's 20 and she's still following Jesus, despite the fact that her family thinks she's kind of an idiot for doing so. Her family looks down on her. Her family at times even mocks her. And yet she's still following Jesus. Maybe that will be your experience. Persecution is an expectation that we should have as a follower of Christ. One quick note is this, that it is only persecution when you receive it for being like Jesus. Sometimes as Christians, we can be judgmental, arrogant jerks, and when people respond violently to us, we say, well, I'm being persecuted. No, you're just a jerk. You're just being rude. (laughs) You're just being nothing like Jesus. Persecution, true persecution, is not when you are sinning and not when you are being arrogant and not when you are being abrasive and then people respond in kind. True persecution is when you are embodying the character of Christ himself and you are hated for it and opposed for it. We are called as followers of Jesus to be faithful to Christ and to walk with him and to proclaim the gospel no matter the cost. We are called to walk with Jesus even in spite of the opposition and the persecution that may come. And so my hope in giving you this message is that as you go home, 
and you decide that I'm going to walk with Jesus and I'm going to obey his word and I'm going to live by the power of the spirit, that you will expect that at times it will be difficult, that you will expect that people will come against you for doing it. And that it will be okay when it does. It will be like jumping into the ice bath, but you've done it a hundred times and you know the shock that's coming and it won't scare you out of following Jesus. You can have steel in your spine and courage in your heart to be faithful to Christ no matter the cost. That's my hope for you. And here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you this, that sometimes, even though persecution can often feel like kind of a doom and gloom type of thing to talk about, Sometimes persecution will be the way that God does something amazing in your life. And here's what I mean by this. There's a kind of dependence and a kind of devotion that God only unlocks through difficulty and suffering in the life of a Christian. And if that idea feels impossible or unreal to you, then I would just challenge you, find a good Christian biography or go read some Christian history and learn about the saints through the ages that have suffered and lost and been persecuted and God has done amazing things through their lives. I want to tell you about just one story in that vein. A picture is going to come up on the screen of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. You may have heard of them, but Jim... Jim Elliott, in, in 1956, he went to the jungles of Ecuador because he had a desire to, to reach a, a tribe that was called the Warani tribe with the gospel. And he went to Ecuador with four of his closest friends and all of their wives, and the five men loaded up one day, and they got in a plane, and they went out to the middle of nowhere because they had been getting in contact with this tribe from a distance, and it was finally time to land on the ground and go talk to them and try to make an effort to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And upon their first meeting with this tribe, they speared Jim Elliott and all four of his friends to death. They killed all of them. It was a horrible tragedy, but what was born out of this tragedy was Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's widow. She went back to the Waurani tribe, and she lived with them for two years. And in the course of that two years, she won their trust, their trust and their friendship. And as she lived in this village, she got to see many of them come to faith in Jesus Christ, including the very people who had killed her husband. And that was born out of her suffering and persecution for the gospel. And Elizabeth and Jim Elliott's story sent shockwaves through the world and compelled many untold thousands of people to sell their possessions and to give everything they had and to go to the nations to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because they saw Jim and Elizabeth Elliott's courage and devotion and sacrifice to Christ. And they said, me too. They said, I will go. And it has changed the world. Sometimes God will do uniquely powerful things in your life through suffering and opposition that he could do no other way. And that's my hope for you. My hope for you is that as you go home, that if following Jesus is hard, that that would be the context in which God would write an amazing story of impact. I mean, think about the stories that you love the most. They're not the stories that go, 
And they lived happily ever after. And everything was easy. And it was all fine. And there was no conflict. And there was no difficulty. It's when people face things that are hard and gut-wrenchingly difficult. And they persevere in the power of the Spirit. And they glorify Jesus in doing so. Just like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot did. They believed Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, they're not superheroes. They're not superhuman. The reason they were able to do that and the reason those many thousands of people followed in their example is because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they believed that heaven was coming for them and so they were faithful to Christ no matter what came against them. That's my hope for you guys and that's what I want to encourage you with. These are guarantees for your Christian life. These are things you can bank on. If you follow Jesus, you've got the spirit inside of you. You've got heaven ahead of you, and you've got persecution coming to you. But you can do it. You can honor Jesus. You can walk in obedience, and you can glorify him with a life that is filled and empowered with what he has provided, a life that honors and reflects the truth that he's given. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for the kindness of your mercy to us. Thank you that you have loved us enough to spare us what we deserve. You've been so kind and generous to give us what we could have never earned. God, we thank you that even right now, in this moment, the power of the Holy Spirit lives within us who trust in Christ. And I pray that your spirit now would be speaking to our hearts And would even at this moment be giving us courage and joy and gratitude. God, I pray that you would fill us up with your presence. And you would prepare us for what lies ahead as we go home. God, we don't want to be unprepared. We don't want to be non-committal. We don't want to be flaky. We want to be rock-solid followers of Jesus who give our lives in devotion to you but we need you to do that work in us. And so we depend on you and we trust you. God, we say thank you for all that you have done in the course of this week together, and we pray that this would only be the beginning, that we would see you powerfully at work in undeniable ways. Go before us, lead us, care for us. God, we look to you, we confess that we need you, and we promise to give you all the glory for what you do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. Hume, it's been a pleasure. I love you guys. God bless you.